There's a story of two brothers, two notorious criminals. And recently, one of the brothers dies. And the other brother is making preparations for his funeral. He approaches a priest and he says, Father, in my brother's eulogy, I'd like you to say that he was a saint. The father is taken aback. He said, I can't. I can't say that. that. That would be lying. And the brother says, well, I'll pay some money towards the church roof. And the, the father says, okay, I'll, I'll see what I can do. So the next day at the uh, funeral service, the father is there giving the eulogy and he starts off abruptly. He says, this man who's just died, he was a criminal, a notorious criminal, a fiend, a fraud, a swindler. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> and the reason I uh, mention about that is because with eulogies, there's often praise. And it's typically uh, for someone who's uh, died. But looking at verse 3, when Peter says, praise be to God, in the Greek, it's eulogatos, where we get the word eulogy. And this whole passage is of praise to God. And this is, uh, this is different from a eulogy because we're giving praise to someone who is living, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The context to this passage is that Peter is writing to believers who are experiencing intense persecution from the Roman authorities and also from Jews who are against the message of the gospel. Now, in Britain, we may not be experiencing persecution, but there's much in the news that makes us, we, we may be tempted to feel hopeless, to despair. We hear of wars, famines, recessions, instability, and so many news stories are characterized as being crises. We hear about the Ukraine crisis, the cost of living crisis, housing crisis. But we Christians, we have a living hope. Jesus Christ is our living hope, our confident certainty. In the passage, we hear about the living hope. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of our faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says this, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. But Christ did rise again from, he rose again from the grave. The resurrection is Jesus' victory over, over death and victory over the consequences of sin in our lives. When Jesus was crucified, the disciples would have felt hopeless and defeated. They would be tempted to despair. But Christ rose again. He defeated death. The power of sin was broken. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where is your sting? The resurrection is the guarantee of our future hope.
and our living hope is Jesus Christ. It's so easy in this world to put our hope in other things for her deliverance. But putting our hope in other things and not in Jesus Christ is, is futile. It's not fruitful. It's fruitless. Have you heard of the movement secularism? Well, secularists are those who put their hope in themselves. They claim that they are self-sufficient. They don't need to rely on God. But this is uh, futile. And we see that we make mistakes time and time again when we put our trust and hope in ourselves and not on God. A theologian says this. He says, the hopes of men are dead hopes. Like cut flowers, they bloom a while and then they fade and die. The Christian's hope is fresh and fruitful because it is a living hope purchased by the living Christ and promised in the living word. And our hope, it's not a wishful expectation. Oh, I, I, hope, I hope this happens. No, it's a confident belief that Christ will return. He will bring justice and we will receive our inheritance. We have the benefit of salvation now, but the certainty of a wonderful joy and fulfillment in his presence later. Did you notice in the passage how we also heard this phrase, new birth? We are born again. We are a new creation. Look around you. We are new in Christ. And being born again is not something that we do, but something that God has given. Our new life flows from the heart of a merciful Father. And our new birth is brought about by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has caused us to be born again. 2 Corinthians 5 17 says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Christ is doing a wonderful thing in your lives. You're a new creation. In Christ, we are being radically changed through the journey of sanctification. That is the process of being made holy to be more like Christ. And in John's gospel, Jesus explains to Nicodemus, the teacher of the law, what it means to be born again. This experience of being born again comes only through the Holy Spirit. Only God's Spirit can bring new life. David Pawson, the biblical scholar, says this about being born again. We Christians, we are misfits because we no longer belong to the world. We're actually part of a new species, no longer homo sapiens, but homo novus, new men and women, no longer in Adam, but in Christ.
We also heard in the passage how we have an inheritance. What is our inheritance as believers? Well, to answer the question, our inheritance is that we're living in the already and also the not yet. We have been saved. We are justified through our faith in Jesus Christ and not by works. So in that sense, we're experiencing the already. But the full extent of God's promises is yet to be fulfilled. Romans 8.22 says, We groan as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. And friends, we can be excited because our inheritance is not simply that we'll be in heaven as, as simply as, as spirits with the white clouds in heaven. We will see God in his heavenly form. But friends, we will also be bodily resurrected. We will be part of a new creation. We will enjoy the glories of heaven, especially the glory of God himself. Two, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says that we can't even contemplate the glories that are in heaven that wait for us. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And this earthly, this heavenly inheritance we have is incorruptible, it's imperishable, it doesn't fade, it doesn't lose its shine, its glory, its appeal. And how that starkly contrasts to earthly treasures. You see in this cost of living crisis how money can quickly lose its value. Earthly inheritances, they fade, they corrupt, they pass away. But our heavenly inheritance is imperishable. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus, in fact, commands, he says, store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Put your hope Put your treasures in Christ. And these, friends, are, we have a living hope. We are born again. There is the power of the resurrection. These are biblical truths that we can hold on to in times of suffering. And Peter, in this passage, he doesn't tell believers how to escape persecution, but rather how to endure it. He is writing to encourage believers facing suffering. And it seems that in the Christian faith, sometimes life doesn't seem to get easier and easier. It sometimes gets harder and harder. I wonder if you've experienced that. And in fact, in the passage, Peter says, for a little while, you may have to suffer griefs of all kinds of trials. But brothers and sisters, we can be encouraged. Hope is crucial as an anchor because when the storm of persecution and suffering comes, hope will hold the believers firm. 
testing times are also times of refining. Verse 7 of the passage, Peter says that testing times prove the genuineness of our faith. Do you know the story of the parable of the sower? How the seed uh, represents the gospel and it's scattered on different kinds of soil. And for some soil, the seed falls on rocky places. And that represents those who, when they hear the gospel, they're initially excited, exuberant. Thank you, Jesus. But when persecution or suffering comes, they quickly renounce their faith and they turn back on Jesus. But Peter is encouraging the believers here to keep persevering, to keep putting their trust and hope in the Lord. Because in the passage, praise, glory and honour are due to the Lord and also to the believer for standing firm in their faith in Christ. James 1, the book of James, it's a very bold, uh, short, punchy book. James is great. I'd really encourage you to read the book of James. James is very pragmatic. He gets to the point uh, very quickly. And James says this. He says in, in, in chapter 1, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It's a quite challenging statement. He says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Yet even in the midst of suffering, a theme running through this passage is that we can experience the joy of Christ. This is a mystery of faith. Though we haven't seen Jesus, we love him. And even though we don't see him now, we believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. One theologian says this about joy. This is how he defines joy. He says joy is an unnatural reaction of deep, steady, pure, thankful trust in God. I'll just say that again. Joy is an unnatural reaction of deep, steady, and pure, thankful trust in God. Trusting in the Lord, that's the counter to suffering, putting our hope in him. We've just sung in that song, Cornerstone, though the storm surrounds me, you are sovereign in that situation, Lord. Jesus is our living hope. He's the hope that we can carry into our lives. The hope that can stop us from feeling in a state of despair when we hear about all the crises and the discouraging news stories in the world. Jesus will come back, friends. He will come back. He will bring justice. He will, uh, bring, right, he will bring right to wrongs. And he will make wars cease, famines end, and toil cease. We can have confidence in Jesus. We don't need to despair or worry. He is coming to give our heavenly inheritance. And in him, we are saved.
we have a glorious inheritance that will not perish. Isaiah 11:10 says this about the coming of the Lord Jesus into the world. In that day, the root of Jesse, that is Jesus, will stand as a banner of hope for the peoples. Nations will rally to him. His resting place will be glorious. This is God's kingdom being established here on earth. We will see him like he is, brothers and sisters. We will see God in his heavenly form. We will be bodily resurrected. And like a captain steering a ship in a storm, he keeps his eyes fixed on the destination. And so too, as we, we Christians, when we're experiencing suffering, we should also fix our eyes on the Lord. Our salvation draws near. We will receive our glorious inheritance. So, brothers and sisters, my message is that we should have steady trust in the Lord, hope in the Lord. We have a living hope. It's not an idle hope. It's not a wish. It's a certainty that, we, that can give us confidence in our lives. I'd just like to pray for us now. Lord, thank you that we have been reborn. Thank you, Lord, that you rose again from the cross that you are living, that you are seated at the right hand of the Father, that you are working in our waiting, that you are our sure hope, that only you are our true security and peace and satisfaction in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that in you we have a glorious inheritance. And Heavenly Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, help us to have a steady and thankful trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.